Hello. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Very. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Hey there, Conscious Combat Soul. What, you? Yes, I'm talking to you. If you listen to this podcast, then you are a human being who loves combat and wants to be conscious about the way that you're doing it. You're interested in being more trauma-informed, more inclusive, and more ethical in the way that you teach and participate in martial arts and combat sports. And that's why I would like to invite you specifically to join our new group, the Conscious Combat Club. We're on Facebook, and there's an emailing newsletter that you can sign up for, the details for both of which are in the show notes here. But now, let's get to today's episode. All right. Welcome to the Fight Back podcast, everyone. I am here today with my new friend, Alex Ueda. Alex is a first degree black belt and he is the founder of the blog Grounded Grit. Welcome to the podcast. Let's start with jujitsu. How did you get into training? Uh, (laughs) It's so funny that we start off on this one. It's the most mundane story ever. (laughs) Um, I got, I graduated from, uh, university around 2005 mm-hmm. uh, and then 2006 I started working it was a little tough finding work um, but basically I went from a college life experience where it was like a 40 minute walk to my first class to a desk job where I'm just sitting on my butt you know eight nine hours a day mm-hmm. and I had an hour long drive each way so very very sedentary I just started putting on a lot of weight you know um, and then you know I would hit the the office like campus gym and stuff like that but really, I, I've never been the kind of person to uh, enjoy working out for workout's sake, you know, just checking all the boxes, three sets of 10. Okay, we did pyramid this time. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's mundane to me. So um, on a whim, I walk into uh, Gracie Academy. It was called Gracie Academy at that time. Um, it turns out it was the very first jujitsu academy, Brazilian jujitsu academy in America. Um, and I didn't know I grew up in a town with, with that academy there. So I walk in and uh Hino and Gracie's teaching the first class. And like they I, I was hooked basically right away. I mean, um, aside from like the the excellent instruction, they also had like this um this curriculum that I could that I could like attach to, that I could say, okay, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm about to learn. I see that they put a lot of thought into having their bases covered. And um, I'm a systematic thinker, so uh, I majored in physics. So uh, I saw where I could be headed. And uh, yeah, the rest there is history, as they say. <laughs> um, I got hooked for, I don't know, who doesn't want to be an assassin, sort of. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> but at the same time, um, I, I guess a, a few years deeper, it started to address a lot of the helped me address a lot of the uh, personal work that I had to do, uh, wherein um, I was like very compulsively trying to um, avoid personal work through achievement. And like, you can read that in my personal history. Like um, in, in high school, I was valedictorian, academic decathlon, baseball team, all these things. Um, but it was always uh, a compulsion for me. It wasn't like conscious choice. It was like, I need to do this or I don't know who I am. Um, Jiu-Jitsu helped me be a lot more conscious with choices in uncomfortable situations. So, yeah, that's that's how I started. But that's and then tail in there is a little bit more of like why I stuck along, uh, stuck around for I think this is my 16th year. It's interesting that the kind of like engineering physics mind ends up mm-hmm. lending itself so well to being so interested in philosophy. Like you remind me a lot of Steve Kwan, who I don't know if you know, who runs the podcast BJJ Mental Models. And we've had him on this show before, like very similar, like tech guy, really got into like geeking out about like levers and, you know, like angles, like very much the analyzing how jujitsu worked and pulling it apart. And then now is at a point where he's like, 
my podcast is supposed to be about how to do arm bars good. He's like, I don't really care about arm bars. I'm interested in like the ethics of our sport and like why we're teaching what we're teaching and like how we can use this as a vehicle to make people better people. Um, so yeah. interesting that both of you have gone through like very similar um, kind of journeys. I find it is very interesting, but I find that like jujitsu, the things that we're doing now are like common to the human experience. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but almost no surprise that we all gravitate toward like, what does it mean to be uh, living a full life? Mm -hmm. um, are, we, are we going through our daily lives actually making conscientious decisions about who we wanna be and what we're trying to practice to become? Or are we kind of just panicking, holding our breath and, you know, just staving off the next arm bar, wrist lock, choke or whatever. <clears throat> Yes. Some days it definitely feels like that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And, and it really resonates with me, this idea about like, you know, looking for achievements, external things to kind of like point to who you are to try and find your identity and then like stripping that away. And I think you're further down that journey than I am. And I get a feeling that a lot of people listening will be like, that's me, you know, I identify as, and for some people it's like I identify as a jiu-jitsu athlete um, or a kickboxing athlete or, you know, something to do with martial arts or something else. Right. So what did that look like for you? Did you start thinking about it or did you read a lot of books or was it just like a boom? Um, it's funny you should mention it. So like I was on the high school, my high school's baseball team for all four years. However, in terms of, uh, influencing my sense of identity it made me feel more like an outcast because i worked harder than anybody but i was not talented as everybody and um i was like one of the more academically like higher achieving kids i definitely started to uh get the feeling like yeah coach likes me and everything but i'm here to float the team's gpa you know like that's how i started feeling and um so i would no i was never a natural athlete. Um, when I began jujitsu, um, I started teaching, I believe in my, I want to say third or fourth year onward, uh, mm. I got purple belt three years in, and then it took a little bit to, to go through our instructor training program and, and such. But, um, I never thought of myself as like this intense fighter athlete, what, what have you. Um, only a person who could, because of my achievements academically, who could figure it out, at least mentally, right? Who could <clears throat> come up with like a heuristic to attach to the amorphous idea of like connection or, um, oh, you just have to have mad time. That was never a satisfactory answer for me. I'm like, what are you doing with your mad time? Mm -hmm. And uh, it forced me to, um, you know, put a, a framework to this. So I could always figure it out or I had faith that I could figure it out um, from my, my previous background, but I definitely didn't think of it myself as like this intuitive, he's just got that X factor kind of guy. Um, my identity as a teacher and someone who helped others definitely gave me this like brilliant sense of purpose that really helped me come back to the mat over and over, even in those tough days where it's like, you're plateauing for what feels like months and you're never sure if you're going to turn a corner. Um, that journey, by the way, I'm discovering even as, you know, first degree black belt, that doesn't end, you know, like if you're a person who worries about plateauing now, it's going to exist in the future. It's going to be a much higher plateau, but it'll, it'll be there nonetheless. Um, and so I feel like, you know, identities are powerful when they get you up and moving but I don't want them to be the end all be all because identities are also something malleable that you can still choose based on what you do from here on out. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to remind myself. So teacher before, long-winded answer to your question, mm. teacher before anything, uh, thinker before that, um, do I admire what I like to be like these guys that walk around with that quiet confidence where it's like, you know, like you can just sense it off of them. Absolutely. And some days I am lately, not so much, but you know, ebb and flow. Yeah, totally. And from what, what I took from that answer, right. Is that it, 
you can't just go from like my identity is in being high achieving and not necessarily like high achieving athlete, but could be like, like you were like high achieving in school or like high achieving in employment or whatever it might be. The, the transition to teaching is quite powerful if it brings humility with it and you get to see yourself as like your purpose in giving to other people or your purposes in helping others. And that becomes part of your identity. And then you're like, maybe identity is not so important. And on some days you can let it fall away and just be like a human being, not a human doing right. And, and start to have some of that experience. Yeah. I love that. That's, and this is, this is what I find so uh, rejuvenating about the practice of jujitsu. Even if I don't have to, even if I'm not consciously, putting these uh, articulate like explanations to it, you have no choice, but to be in the moment, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and if you're not, you're going to get choked. <laughs> I mean, you might get choked anyway. Right. But you're just going to, you kind of choose how it's going to happen. Um, are you going to flail and, and do everything according to some programming that you're you know unconscious of? Uh, or are you going to, Settle, breathe, be here, be self-accepting first of wherever you are and whatever your situation is um, before you decide what to do from here on out. And the more you can practice that, I think the faster you grow. Um, I had a, <clears throat> I had the extreme privilege of doing a, a seminar once um, up in Iceland. Uh, my friend Johan uh, invited me. Um, and I was sort of an opening act to like this, this camp that they have out there. I was the opening act to, um, a Pedro Sauer seminar. Cool. And, um, we, on one of our talks, just driving around doing some sightseeing around Iceland, we were kind of chatting a little bit about what we find to be the earliest or easiest indicators of a student who's going to grow, um, grow well, grow maybe a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I mentioned at the time was, uh, this is actually very concrete. If you say freeze at any time during mm-hmm. a spar session, uh, when they're practicing a movie, if you say freeze, the amount of time, the gap between the time, you know, the instructor asks them to freeze and the time they actually freeze is highly indicative because sometimes you'll say freeze and it doesn't register for a few seconds, meaning off in their own world, stuck in a, stuck in a loop somewhere. Um, but sometimes they are making from a moment to moment, like good choices and they hear freeze because they know that there can be some input. Like if it's interruptible means you're conscious of what you're doing. Um, that anyway, that was my input. I think professor Sauer was talking about, um, how much people are willing to play. Right. And that's an, that's an interesting thing too. Right. Cause we think of work and play as so separate, but um, you've read flow. I think we talked about it before, right. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. you get into flow states, it is this interplay of work and play where yes, we are trying to improve consciously, but we're not so attached to the ideas and expectations that come with the pursuit of achievement that we're not there to also experiment and possibly lose, you know? It is when we are not afraid of loss, when we're allowed to just be that we, we grow the most. I'm not saying we get the best results, but I do think there is something to the argument that when you can find play um, in what's supposed to be very serious work, you do actually get the best results. Yeah, that may just be. <clears throat> The solution to the blue belt blues, right? Um, which, f- for anybody listening who's not aware, there's a general concept which is that when you start jujitsu and you're a white belt, everything you're learning is novel and it's exciting. And when you pull things off, it's great. Um, and also, a lot of your training partners are either other beginners or they are like much more experienced people who are trying to help you learn. 
And so your experience is very much of like having wins all the time, pretty much. Um, And then all of a sudden you grade and you like stop having those wins. Everyone sees the new belt on you and they're like, okay, now they're officially in the pool. (laughs) Like we just hit a smash. The white belts are like, oh, they're a higher belt. They go like extra hard. And all of a sudden your experiences goes from like regularly having wins to or whatever you perceive as being wins to like just feeling like you're the nail all of the time. Um, Absolutely. So how do people approach play then if their training partners are there for poor harder? They're there to go hard. What do you think? Um, Well, firstly, from like a, from a training perspective, Mm -hmm. I believe if you are constantly um, my, one of my uh, teachers, mentors, uh, Henry Grace says, if you have to try to survive your school, you're at the wrong school. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Play is both something you cultivate within you, but it's also uh, a culture at your gym, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we all want to get better. But what's interesting about <clears throat> what's interesting about uh, the the cultures is that, like, while those gyms that go hard all the time really do bring out tough guys, it's it's sort of self-selecting in the mm-hmm. sense that, like, if I were to tell you nine out of 10 criminals are right-handed, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't think, oh, wow, I better watch out for right-handed people. No, it's self-selecting because nine out of 10 people are right-handed, right? Right. Um, so you get these tough schools and you get tough guys out of them, but you don't see like the people who wash out. And on top of that, some of the, um, so a lot of people who wash out could have been like amazing too. I mm-hmm. genuinely believe they could have been amazing. It's just they weren't given the balance of nurturing and challenging, right? Um, however, uh, let me get let me back to your question. How do you find play? Um, you will. So the personal work that you can do is to uh, learn to fail forward and understand the perspective that, like, I mean, everybody says this, right? You win or you learn. But um, if you are practicing correctly and you're failing forward. Um, know that this is the stuff that confidence is built on, by the way, when I walk into a situation with confidence, it's not so much that I have like this unwavering belief that I'm going to win. It's almost sometimes even just the curiosity about like, how can I lose? You know, I've lost so many times in so many ways to so many tough guys. I've been in such anguish before, like emotionally over things. How are you going to bring it to me now in a way that I haven't seen? That's kind of like the feeling. Like it's a weird, like it's, it's very weird. Like I have gone through some tough losses. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me tough. Mm-hmm. It's not the fact that I've had tough wins. It's not the fact that I've had that I've like always won. Right? Um, I I'm, I remember this one situation. I was in. So <clears throat> when I was in the thick of teaching, we would have uh, an advanced class. And then after that ended, uh, it ended with like, it's 45 minutes technique, 45 minutes sparring, and then five minute break, beginner class. So I would train in the advanced class, uh, possibly teach, train, and then I would teach the beginner class. One day we had a break between the two classes and everybody in the advanced class, usually they hit the lockers, hit the showers, whatever. Everybody was gathered on the bench and I was like, why is everybody hanging out? Right. I look over in the corner and there's this behemoth of a human. He's seven foot two. Whoa. Wait, seven, two. Yeah. Seven foot two. He's 450 pounds. We did not have a gi like pants that fit him. So he's in, he's in basketball shorts Mm -hmm. and he's in the biggest top that we have. Uh, Former sumo wrestler. Um, and everybody's hanging out because in the first 10 minutes, uh, of every class, every new, every new person to our class <clears throat> gets what we call the 10 minute intro. It's, uh, how we give them the quick introduction to jujitsu, what to expect, what makes it cool and what makes it effective. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, this involves me mounting a person and keeping control of them for long enough to make a point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at the time 150 pounds. So he had three pounds for every pound of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And he lies down and I don't know what I'm going to do. 
because my knees don't touch the ground. I'd like to tell you one knee touched the ground and the other one was planted on a foot. Neither knee touched the ground when I was wow. straddling these children. And so I had to improv a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, of course, I didn't build them up like, hey, throw me off or you're not a man kind of thing, right? <laughs> I would never do that. But we started small. We built up a little bit. And, you know, eight seconds in, I think the point was made. So I'm like, cool. You know, like, I don't want to bring egos into this. Um, you, you might be able to push me off, in fact. And like, I don't want it to ruin my point. Uh, because the point is, you don't have to worry about you being the 450 pound guy facing the 150 pound guy, right? You have to worry about being this guy facing the 450 pound guy. So um, when I went into that situation, um, what was interesting about it was I should have been scared shitless, <laughs> right? I was a brown belt. I was the teacher of the class. What does it say about that guy if he can't do the 10 minute intro? And he, and like, this is the art where, not to say size or strength doesn't matter, but it can be outfoxed and outworked, right? How deep was I into the game at that point? Um, how much did I have to prove in other words, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's what one version of me in another multiverse would have been thinking at mm -hmm. that moment. What I was thinking was, this could be interesting. I wonder, I wonder if I could get away with this. I had a game plan, you mm -hmm. know, when I went in. I didn't say to myself, oh shoot, you better do this. I said, hmm, let's start here and figure it out, right? Um, that game plan, by the way, was always to stay higher in his armpits. If I was over his lower torso, mm -hmm. any bridges would have been extreme altitude. No way I would have been able to catch myself. I could straddle him better up in his armpits mm -hmm. and I was going to stay upright so that <clears throat> if he got a strong stiff arm on me, it would be at a very oblique uh, angle. So he mm -hmm. couldn't really push me. If I leaned over him, he could absolutely one arm bench press me off of him. Mm. Um, and so I kept walking forward and swimming and pulling the arms. Um, that's how I held it together for eight seconds. Um, but what was fascinating was I've heard this before by psychologists and it always seemed like, like some BS where mm -hmm. it was like, you know, the physiological response that happens within your body when you're scared is exactly the same as when you're excited. So the, the life hack here is to just tell yourself you're excited, right? I've been scared and said, no, I'm excited. And you know, my brain knows the, the <laughs> difference, right? I know the difference between scared and excited, right? Um, it needs to be grounded in real life experience, mm -hmm. right? It needs to have something to back it up. I have, in my past, used jujitsu to get out of situations that felt impossible, right? I knew and could believe in a possibility. And on top of that, jujitsu has also taught me it has also immersed me in the practice of picking the best perspective, right? Like um, we're all very familiar with the idea of a foolish optimist where um, in the clouds, they, they always believe it, it's a magical thinking, right? COVID will just go away. Um, but we, there's also um, a head, the, the, Counterpoint to that is there is a headstrong pessimist mm -hmm. where they're so worried about all the, all the wrongs that could happen. They don't end up taking any swings because everything has a downside, mm -hmm. right? And I think the balance there is to understand that um, failure will come for you no matter what, right? It, it like you almost don't control that, but you can control how you show up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Don't, be magical thinking where like everything is going to work out because it doesn't, if you're not smart sometimes. Um, and don't be thinking that, you know, it's impossible. So when I looked at this crowd of people, you know, one version of me could say pressure's on. Mm -hmm. Don't want to look like a fool in front of only everybody you train with every day. Um, but another version is like, if you manage to do this, you're fucking David in this David Goliath thing. Like, you know, and that plus the practice of whatever jujitsu had been, you know, been to me in the multiple years beforehand mm -hmm. was what allowed me 
gave me permission to authentically feel excited about this moment. You know, it was, I mean, I, I, you know, I immediately rushed to Instagram, made a post about it. Cause I'm like, this is so not Alex. This is not the Alex that rode the bench for four years on his high school baseball team. Mm -hmm. This was a different guy who showed up with a different kind of confidence. One that was not arrogance, one that was not baseless, one that was grounded in practice. And maybe if it wasn't believable, if I had gotten thrown off, even that would have been fun. And we even touched on this a little bit before, you know, um, it's very, not bizarre, but it is still foreign in my life experience to be okay getting hit in the face and being okay with losing a fight that way. And you've done that a few times, right? <laughs> but you've mentioned before, like, even the losses sort of feel good. I mean, I don't know. Can you explain that to me a little bit? Because I want to know from your perspective. <laughs> I think it lends really well to what you're saying, right? Like, if, if our mindset is grounded in experience, mm -hmm. it doesn't really serve me to sit at home and think things like, no matter what happens to me, I'm a positive person or like I'm a tough person or, or any other narrative without having proof. So mm -hmm. if I lose, I know I got punched and elbowed and kicked in the face for nine minutes and I'm still here and I'm still okay. Wow. Also, I entered the ring. I stepped into the ring knowing that that was a possibility. And the fact that I lost meant it was a possibility because I used to sometimes think I'm only okay with stepping in the ring if I know I'm going to win. Otherwise, I would be too scared. So to step in the ring where you know there's a good possibility that you're going to lose, if you win that fight, then you can go away and think like, oh, it must be because I'm good. That was the reason why I like wanted to step in. But when you lose, it's proof that there was a possibility that you were going to lose, but you stepped in anyway. And so now you have a mental model for the idea that like, I'm actually okay with putting myself in really scary situations or I'm okay with bruises to my ego and that changes the way you look at your whole self and your whole life going forward because now you have evidence right right it's like the stakes made it valuable right to step in knowing that it was almost a certainty is no is no help to you it's absolutely no help to you and it's a, it gets into a little bit of stoic philosophy, but like there is a strange liberation in having some of your worst fears realized, right? Or what you imagine to be your worst fears um, because you're still here, right? And I love that. I think that's missing from so much of what's being sold as the positive aspects of like martial arts in general, mm -hmm. um, right? It's like, oh, build self-confidence and stuff like that. Yeah, that's all part of the territory. Um, but it's really about giving you the tools um, to, to salvage or, or imbue losses with meaning, imbue hurt with meaning. Because, you know, as you journey through life, these things are unavoidable, right? You won't, you cannot cheat these things. If you have ever been in a relationship that didn't feel valuable, it's because you couldn't be vulnerable there, right? Or you stopped being vulnerable a long time ago. Um, so there were no stakes, uh, wins didn't feel like wins, losses just made you feel numb. There was, there was stagnation rather than forward movement. Um, so yeah, I get that. And I feel like that's a little bit of what I meant to encapsulate when I came up with the name Ground to Grit for my blog, right? Mm. The, grit, the grit part is something we're all after. Who doesn't want to be perseverant? Who doesn't want to be um, someone who can see themselves, who can believe themselves um, strong and capable. Um, but at the same time, this is not magical thinking. It's stuff that's hard fought, that's earned, that's maintained. The, the polish sometimes wears off and we have to find our way back to it via, you know, more, more work. You know, like there's no... Yeah, there's no positive mental attitude way around some of the pain. Like you have to feel it. You have to be there. And there's, there's beauty in it too, if you can start to learn to see it that way. Because for, every, for the version of you that 
says this loss means it meant something, there is a person who says this loss means I'm not cut out for it, or this loss means I'm not meant to eventually be happy. I like the I don't deserve the win kind of thing, and that's it's a terrible place to be too. It makes me think of something my psychologist said to me once. Totally floored me at the time. He goes, if you're using exercise as a way to respond to emotions that you don't necessarily want to feel at the time, like anger and sadness and stress, if you're using like exercise as what you're feeling like is an outlet, it was like, that's a coping strategy. And really what you want to actually be able to do is to ride the waves of emotions, not always feel the negative emotion and need to change your state. And even if you feel like it's through something positive, like going for a run, you're actually still just trying to avoid feeling the thing, which is not being human. He was like, we're going to work on sitting with that. And I was like, I thought I was being so healthy. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, to be fair, it does feel more empowering to have, you know, six pack abs and be sad (laughs) than than to not. Right. Um, But again, you can't. It is a coping mechanism. Right. It's a very fine line. And this is the thing about jujitsu. Jujitsu on its own on a good day is so addictive. Could you imagine on a bad day just having it be the new broken coping mechanism because yes you will feel good yes you're going to get those endorphins yes you're going to grow right but you will hit a wall at some point and uh when i got my when i got my black belt 2016 um i really wanted to reflect on my experience throughout you know the almost 4000 days it took from day 1 to black belt um none of it or not none of it um most of it 95% of it did not feel the way it feels when you're watching a movie montage and it happens in 15 minutes, you know, like, like, you know, Rocky two, Rocky three, whatever it's, it doesn't feel like that. It feels mundane. It feels like another day, you know, like another tally, just get through the front door, you know, don't worry about how you do. Um, and then some days you come home feeling like crap, like, man, why did I go? Um, but over time, those little, tick marks, they add up. Right. And it was really, I'm finding that the journey is really about holding yourself very gently, uh, non-judgmentally. You can be objective, but don't be projecting anything that you worry might be true. Live in the moment, live with the feeling and see what you want to do because to do something out of compulsion is still not controlling yourself or your life right um it's just finding another it's finding another automatic reflex that you think is okay to just sign off on from here on out and it works for some people sometimes you know like if you're in the lowest of the low and you just like it's like i go for a run or i don't leave this room ever go for a run right go for a run um taper those really really hard moments but when you're in a moment of peace, like let's reflect and analyze and ask ourselves, you know, what is it about this that makes me feel so terribly worthless that I have to do something about it rather than understanding that it's a part of human experience. That is, it's something that can allow me to grow that it's something that can then rather than being proof of my unworthiness, can it, can it be proof of my toughness because I've gone through it? And, um, you know, what you go through, you almost have no control over what you call it, how you let it affect you and your choices from here on out is about the only thing you can do, um, which is terrifying. I want to go through life. I want to wake up in the morning with some guarantee that like I'm building to something that, 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 um, today is not going to be upset by just something I absolutely couldn't control. But um, I don't know. I'm still still tackling that. <laughs> still grappling with that idea, you know? Um, but I think to do it and to do it, this is the other great thing about jujitsu is that you're not doing katas in front of a mirror at home, right? You have to be with community to do it. And um, 
that's that's something that I think is deeply overlooked too when you talk about uh, tucked positivity or um, the the when people are extolling like the endless virtues of positive mental attitude. Yes, it's always an ingredient of success, but it, it is not the panacea, right? There are some communal solutions that have to happen, right? Um, same as like your school, you know? Oh, by the way, I wanted to circle back real quick because I just thought of this. Yes. The schools that, that make the tough guys, they're tough in a certain way where like, imagine if you train with a partner that you cannot trust to not break your arm before you tap. So mm-hmm. you have to tap 40% into a submission every single time. Yep. Um, your defense up to that 40% might be stellar, mm-hmm. but once you get to 41%, you're dead, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In like a real life scenario. The way I train with most of my partners is that if I get, if they get me a hundred percent in something, I'm dead to rights. They still won't squeeze. Mm-hmm. They will let me try to find and fish my way out with a, n- not even a hope, right? They'll let me try to figure it out. And if I can't, then I'll tap. When we go in this way, they catch fast, squeeze slow or never. I develop my full spectrum of defenses such mm-hmm. that if the day comes when I am caught deep in a choke, deep in a rear naked choke, um, and it's either die here or try something, I will not only have something, I'll have a well-practiced something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a virtue to um, not going hard all the time, right? Like some people say, you don't know which, which you're made of until you go hard. Yes, but that's one part, one very tiny part of the whole that you are actually trying to cultivate. I want to summarize a bit for everyone because we've talked about a lot so far, right? And mm-hmm. mostly on the personal level, like really some points for reflection that you don't necessarily have to integrate, but that you might stop and think, okay, if somebody said freeze, would I freeze? Or do I get so totally lost um, in what I'm doing that I would take a few seconds? My thing for that is always like, can I tell if my opponent is holding their breath? Can I tell if I'm holding my breath? If I have an awareness of both of our breaths, I'm present. Um, So are you present when you're training? Then are you playing? Um, And part of that might look like catching people in things and then applying the squeeze later as part of play. But there are also like that's on quite a spectrum, right, of how how you approach play and whether you are looking at a role like something to win or an opportunity to play. And then the last thing is that every experience that you have is adding up towards your mindset. Your mindset is grounded in practice and grounded in experience. So whether you're quote unquote winning or losing, if you're always thinking about everything that you're doing being towards cultivating this like deep sense of knowing how you respond in every situation, then you're always going to have a good time. But having a good time is not the goal. (laughs) And that's the point. It's not wrong, right? I mean, like, better to have a good time than not. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, dude, you should be like, uh, do you have cliff notes in uh, Australia? Maybe. I don't know. What is it? Uh, okay, this is going to date me a whole lot. But because before the internet, um, mm. <laughs> when you were in high school and you had your assigned reading and you didn't really want to read the book, cliff notes was like, okay, here's the one paragraph summary. Here are the here here are like the key insights, right? Like, yes, that was a great breakdown. Thank you, thank you. Hosting a <laughs> podcast, we'll do that for you. Um, <laughs> and I want to segue us into your teaching. So this has been so far. We've been talking a lot about um, as a trainer, as a practitioner, what type of things you think about. But I know that the way you teach is quite unique, and and that's how we met, right? Is because even though you don't talk about it anywhere on the internet, I think you're quite trauma informed. So, what does it look like for you working with survivors? Um, like, okay, so first of all, from like a personal level, it's extremely purposeful, just because mm-hmm. I know, like, this is what this is what we're here for to make connection and help everybody be the best version of themselves. Um, it's interesting. It's been a range. Um, I think where it starts from is the same place that, and, and again, I don't have an edu- a formal education in this, but, um, 
when I reflected on like my black belt and mm-hmm. what it took to get me there. And I told you about holding yourself gently. Um, I think about that every time I come across somebody. Um, I think about if I am to project anything, I project um, onto this person, someone who may be hurt in certain ways, who has told themselves a certain story so many times that it's not, it's gone beyond the realm of a recognized belief. It is just fact to them, right? Like no one who's a pessimist believes they're a pessimist. They mm-hmm. only think they're more real than other people, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I had a student one time, um, he was suffering from like a generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know why, but I knew the circumstances. Uh, the first time he ever showed up to the academy, um, my instructor was really, really trying to get him on board. He knew the power of jujitsu, um, but he was in his car, like wailing, uh, 15, 16 years old at the time, mm-hmm. um, wailing 45 minutes, just a step foot in the building, this much anxiety. And, um, you know, after a couple of introductory lessons and he, he was signed up and on board at least to take lessons, um, he was handed off to me and, you know, I didn't start from like, so tell me about everything that's bothering you, right? Like nobody, we all walk around with a certain shield until we know it's safe to be vulnerable with somebody. So I figured let's introduce him to his power, right? Let's introduce him to a different kind of story and jujitsu's cool that way because it's not it's not something it's very popular nowadays but it's not something that most people have thought of still right it's like you know you ever throw on a gi you ever you know pajama wrestle not a lot of people so i introduced him to his power and um part of gently holding somebody is being able to give feedback without it being judgmental right um part of my performative achievement-based coping mechanisms to avoiding personal work was to be increasingly harsh on myself over certain things. So like remembering vocab words, right? You better remember like the nuance behind this word, not just, you know, that is a word that means in general this, right? It's not good enough. You need to, this is why um, I sometimes find that I have like a pretty good vocabulary sometimes it's just mm-hmm. that like it comes from this compulsion where i was very judgmental on myself mm-hmm. um it it presents as as learned and sophisticated but inside it's all brokenness it's like it's, it's like it's it's trauma um so when i give feedback everything is perfect and it could be even perfecter that's even the word um if we did if we added this right um, it's about hitting that, that balance and that flow state between, um, fun challenge mm-hmm. and nurturing like softballs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, once a person gets used to it a little bit, um, what's interesting is they will, we, I think we have like this, um, natural emotional immune system where it will pull us to the things that we're supposed to do where they're like what happens if they resist me in this way? Cause this seems very presumptuous now for me to just push down an arm mm-hmm. and I'll say, Oh, perfect. I'm going to resist you right now. And I show them the little bit of detail over time. We ground the belief or we ground the thought process of looking or sorry, um, the process of looking for a solution, experimenting without judgment, applying testing and refining over time, we just do that so many times. Like at first you throw them the softball, you give them the answer mm-hmm. so that they believe there's a possibility. Then, you know, after they've done it so many times, they start asking their own questions increasingly harder and mm-hmm. they start giving themselves their own answers, which is fascinating. And then what they want, you know, at the end is like, okay, Alex, this time I really want you to squeeze my neck. Like, I really want you to choke me. <laughs> are you sure? You know, because these are people who not necessarily talking specifically about my uh, generalized anxiety uh, student, but mm-hmm. um, women who have survived assault mm-hmm. say, would you squeeze my neck? Like you need it. And it's, it's funny when they take me by the hand and lead me into the space. Cause I'm like, 
Sure. <laughs> you know, like, um, but that's the goal, right? Where it's like, they have gone beyond needing me to, to gently guide them through this process. Now they want to, they want to take the reins. And so um, I think at its heart, being trauma informed and instructing a person is exactly this, taking them through the paces gently showing that improvement doesn't necessarily have to be based on um, harsh judgment. And that's what it was. Um, you have all this pain. Um, and again, I don't have a firm background in this, but you have pain from your youth, from, from wherever. And this inner child portion of you is uh, egoless in the sense, or oh, sorry, not egoless. Um, 100% egotistical, meaning uh, uh -huh. this happened to me because of me. <laughs> I deserved this, right? <laughs> I deserve that, that, uh, you know, the absentee father, or I deserve this harsh treatment. <laughs> um, so you try to avoid feelings of that by achieving, right? It's like, no, 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 look at me. I'm actually good because I'm doing these things, right? But as you struggle to achieve as your coping mechanism, uh, you develop a tough, tough critic that can't help but sound like the, the love that you never got before. And when I was reflecting on my journey from white belt to black belt, I realized that one of the most beautiful things that happened at my school was that I didn't receive that kind of reinforcement. You know what I mean? Like, that's the other thing I worry about in, in, tough guy academies, right? It can crank out a lot of tough guys, but they don't necessarily crank out good human beings. Mm -hmm. They crank out people who are like, they're like, fuck yeah, I'm never going to be the nail again. Mm -hmm. I'm, oh, I always get to be the hammer. I earn mm -hmm. this, right? Their humanity is dog shit. And uh, that's not what this was supposed to be about, right? I'm not trying to train um a new generation of more dangerous psychopath. I'm trying to train people to defend themselves against their own worst inner critic. You know, mm -hmm. um, they're, uh, what was it, paleontologist or, or something, uh, Stephen Jay Gould. Mm -hmm. I'm going to butcher this quote, but it's something that stuck with me a long time. Um, he says, it doesn't so much concern or interest me the weight and, and, and convolutions of Einstein's brain, as it does the fact that people of equal talent have lived and died in cotton fields. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There is so much humanity going to waste because of these generational trauma narratives that just live in us unspoken. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, jujitsu is a great, amazing vehicle for, uh, getting you to tackle it, right? It won't untangle it for you, but it'll show you the process where you untangle it for yourself. Um, but it can also be a tool for, for worsening it, right? Mm -hmm. It can just become the new addiction, right? You're off alcohol, but you're on to hurting others, you know? Um, so I'm going to answer. I totally love it. I do this. No, no, no. <laughs> it's true. good. It's good. We're yeah. talking about like, what does it mean to be trauma informed? Um, right. Whatever so, your interpretation of that is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's gently taking them through the paces mm -hmm. um, and showing them that improvement does not need to be these toxic narratives that you're running from. Um, it can be something fun. It can be something uplifting. It ought to be. It ought to be. Right. And even greater than that, like one step beyond that, Mm. is that you do not need to improve to be worthwhile. Okay. So like in my black belt speech, I was talking about holding yourself gently through the improvement process, mm -hmm. but something that started even before the improvement process was the idea that I was worth defending. Mm -hmm. Right. No one that is, that is, that is the one given in every class. Mm -hmm. Right. Imagine a, a self-defense class that starts with, tell me about yourself. Well, no, you don't belong here, right? Well, mm, you got kind of a punchable face, if I'm honest with you. Nothing starts that way. Mm -hmm. Everything starts with, 
people on. Mm-hmm. If we can't start there, then I don't know. We're lost from the start, you know? So although people look at, I feel like teaching in general starts like too many other jobs. Here's a process. Let's put a person through this process and hopefully they come out better on the other side. You know, it's, it's cold, unfeeling, capitalist to get very political about it, right? I'm going to stamp it out of plastic and I'm going to try and make this as um, repeatable as possible. But the thing is, if you treat a person like a number, you've already lost them, right? Mm-hmm. The trauma-informed part about it is that wherever you are, it's okay. It's a part of the human experience. It's somewhere I will be one day or I have been, right? Um, Brene Brown has this great, I mean, I love her in general, but I remember reading one of her books, I have like five of them, where she was talking about a relative who um, was, I believe it was her, so uh, forgive me if I'm, I'm mistaken here, but she was talking about a relative who was declining in abilities as she got older and needed some help, but this relative never fell into this sort of um, typical depression that some people get. You know, as they get older, they've been used to walking their whole life. They've been used to fixing their own supper for their whole life. Um, but now they can't anymore and they start to feel less and less human. But this relative of hers didn't. And it's because she had a life full of giving. Mm-hmm. And she understands that it is not benefactor, beggar. It is this, because one day it will be this, right? Which is people being on the same level for anyone who's- Everybody's on the same level. Some days you're getting, some days you're getting, but we all deserve to be here. Provided we don't work our shit out on others and we work on ourselves and we get up every day and try to make that conscientious decision. As soon as we're aware of the things that plague us and that cause us to plague others, we get to work on it. Um, We hold each other gently in that space. Man, like you'd be surprised. I would be surprised how many other Einsteins there are out there just languishing really or, or, or waiting to be discovered because they had an abusive, you know, emotional upbringing or something. So, and rant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you spoke about how if you kind of lead people gently through like little wins and, you know, keep giving them more and more space to start making their own decisions. That's where it's so cool, right? When a client comes to you and they say, can, Alex, can you please choke me? What I notice yeah. is a similar thing where cause I, I work with a lot of coaches and coaches are so used to seeing something that's wrong and pointing it out. Um, and it kind of, you know, feeds back into what they think is kind of the expectation of the coaches to walk around and be like, oh, put your elbow here, do this, do this, do this, you know, um, mm-hmm. that, that shows that, you know, I have knowledge. But what's even more powerful than that is not saying anything. And even though you've noticed it, just keeping that to yourself, you don't have to shout it out. And then the student will go, this isn't quite feeling right. Um, I feel like I'm not getting enough power and then we can have a conversation about it and they problem solve it for themselves. That's what I see all the time where students get the same outcome, but I didn't have to spoon feed everything to them. And in fact, they hold on to it better because it came from them. And then they, if we're talking about experience, right, they go, oh my God, I got to have choice. I got to choose the way that this program was going to unfold for me. Now I have a model that I actually get to have choice in my life where we see that trauma is considered, like by definition, not having choice. It's a huge narrative to rewrite. Yeah. It's, and the, the, the powerful thing about that also, although it may not happen at the pace that, that you would want for the reputation of the school or what have you, um, it does, when they get to choose every step along the way, it feels like their authentic story, right? Um, I have been in positions before where I'm out doing something, um, but I don't feel like it's, as I was coming up as a teacher, I was assistant instructor first, you know, 
I would take a certain section of a class, right? But um, I was always performing in front of my mentor. Um, it was always just this little section. And the class wasn't mine until he was out of the room, right? And I was free to run it in my voice. And that's, there was a little bit of stumbling out of the gate, uh, you know, that's inevitable. But once it becomes yours and you own it, it feels authentic in a way that you cannot then revoke, you know, which is really important. Um, I think it's very, it, it's funny. I have had a lot of friends um, sometimes say like, oh, you know, my friend approached me. He's getting ready for a competition in like six months. And I want to give them the best strategy possible. But in a certain way, like I've seen what competitions are, where coaches are in the corner yelling directions at a guy. And um, I don't know, like if both competitors speak English, like you're kind of getting the answers to the other guy too, right? Um, not only that, but like you don't want to create a student who can't do it for themselves. You don't want to create a student that needs you as the puppet master to work, right? That's a fragile relationship. And it is not one that they can rely on themselves. You want the kind of person who can go out into the world and be okay with it. Um, which is funny for me to say right now, I'm realizing because where I am as a parent right now, I have like a two and a half year old and a one year old. I'm so busy doing everything for them that like, I forget, I, I, I forget um, these certain moments where I need them to bump their head just a little bit. I need them to fall in a very controlled way, bump their head, learn a little bit and correct for themselves. Cause I need to prepare my kid for the world, not the world for the kid. Same is true of teaching. Absolutely. It's, it's very much like a mirror for being secure attachments. When we talk on this podcast, we've definitely spoken before on previous episodes about attachment theory, right? This idea of being a secure base for someone so that they can go off, make mistakes, fall over, and then know that they can come back to you for comfort, support, reflection, whatever that they need. But that when they come back from having experienced something that went wrong, that you're going to be there. You just have to be there. You don't have to be with them as they make those mistakes or they never make the mistakes and they don't learn that. And of course, right. it's true. Mm-hmm. I want to ask before we wrap up and run out of time, my final question, which of course you already know is the question that I ask everybody, which is why do we hear people saying BJJ saved my life? So I think for some people, uh, probably the minority, it might've very literally saved their lives, but I think it saves your life because it has you engage with the practices that make it worth living. For example, we talked a little bit about presence, right? Um, you can get very wrapped up in a role about worrying about the things to come. When you're rolling with somebody who's very advanced, um, it's going to be this arm lock or this triangle or this choke or sometimes all three. But if you're busy splitting your resources amongst three concerns, um, you will lose to one of them. Mm-hmm. He will just, he will, he will maybe not have his pick, but he'll get one of the three. Mm-hmm. However, if I can focus on the immediacy of which one is closest, which mm-hmm. one am I stuck in right now and dedicate my resources to that, I may have a chance of staving that out. And then when he switches and I realize it's no longer a threat, if I deal with it in a, in a serial fashion, then it, it may work out, right? Similarly, um, when I am uh, doing the million things I do throughout the day, taking care of uh, my girls, um, I worry about, oh, you know, what's going to be for dinner? What's going to be for this? What's going to be for that? And I say to myself, I mean, we have food in the house. It will take care of itself when it gets here. Right now, right now, what is what will I miss about not being here right now? Mm-hmm. And it brings me so much joy to be present, even in the things that truly, like if I'm looking at it from a get things done perspective, the things that really would trip me up, um, I, I just end up having more fun. So, you know, my daughter, uh, we're playing outside. I have jujitsu mats on my patio. Um, I want her to stay on the mats and you know, we can wrestle around a little bit, but then she runs off in the garden and her feet get wet and they get dirty and muddy. And I'm like, that's another thing I have to worry about while I'm juggling your sister, while I'm trying to make lunch, right? But then I remember this is part of a happy childhood. 
this is part of this is part of fatherhood, right? I might get these muddy footprints all over my shirt and I have to change my shirt. And yes, I have to wash her feet. But to see her unfettered joy at exploration, stuff like that only happens for a certain amount of time, right? And so this is, these are the lessons that I take directly from the map into my life. Presence, um, understanding that like sometimes you are out of your depth and it is through no fault of your own, right? How did, how did you improve in situations like this in the past? Well, when you had enough time to sit with it, or maybe you took a little break, like you took a break from focusing on it, and then you were able to come back to it from a certain distance. Um, you can think logically about it, take it apart, and try something new. And then you're excited about the process of trying something new, because once you've discovered that, you've leveled up, right? I've leveled up as a dad because I'm getting my daughter to eat vegetables in very creative ways. Um, not because I'm there for feeding, not because I'm like just, just trying to get it happen through a louder voice or through giving no choice or anything like that, right? Um, I'm leveling up slowly, but um, circling back to your question, they are grounded practices. It's not positive mental thinking for the sake of positive mental thinking. It is grounded practices for um, presence, gratitude even, you know, gratitude flows when, when you are um, present, um, resilience and confidence, not necessarily through the wins or through the achievements, but through incrementally failing forward. And I have failed a lot, right? But like you when, you, when you step out from a hard loss, um, it means you're, you're in the ring, right? And that's what counts. It means you're in the ring, you're doing the tough work. And um, if you want it to be, if you choose to make this part of your story, it can be the thing that makes you tougher than you imagined possible. Or, or the other narrative might also be like fate's plaything, right? You're only here to get tossed about. And um, through, through martial arts, through jiu-jitsu, I've seen that I can tell myself one story and have that come true. And I can tell myself another story and have that come true. So which one do I want? Even, even if it's hard to see right now, what can, I, what can I immediately do right now to start building my path to one story, right? Um, forget who said it. We never get a new beginning. Right, but we can, we can act now and make a new one. Absolutely incredible! It has been my my extreme pleasure to speak with you. Um, you. You're very well spoken. You have lots of great thoughts, and it's not just because of the trauma of your vocabulary building. It's because everyone, anyone who speaks with you, could tell that you you do. <laughs> think a lot about things before you speak. And I love that about you. It makes you a wonderful guest. And I look forward to the day where I get to visit you in California. But if anyone oh, does absolutely. want to connect with you, where are you at online for listeners if they want to reach out? So my shamefully out-of-date blog is groundedgrit.com. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm on Instagram uh, under, you know, at groundedgrit, but also my personal one, if anybody cares, is uh, Six Jim Samurai. Perfect. We'll all put those. all of those. All those will be in the show notes so everyone could just click in. They don't have to worry about listening. Um, and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless 
fear nothing, no complacence. Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause huh, I'm the one that power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets we're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifest enough collecting all their tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection I could see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me. They can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances. When I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances to fall down, mess up, and get myself back up. I'm not looking for clovers because I don't believe in luck. Damn, you were badass. I heard them say it clearly. Why, thank you very much. I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me because I expect to see growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability. Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth. Forget that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no really, you can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh? Oh. 